This is LA Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene. Going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations. And now, the podcast. Welcome to the LA Court Report podcast. We'll get right to it. You can't know much about March Madness without knowing about LMU's special Elite Eight run in 1990. We're joined by one coach and three players who were a special part of LMU's Elite Eight run in 1990. Let's welcome Bruce Woods, Christian Scott, Chris Knight, and Greg Walker. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks, Black. I forgot to say, hey, Woodsy. Hello, Woodsy. Hello. Yeah, how are you, Blake? Good to see <laughs> All you. All right, buddy. <laughs> and it's really special to be a part of this because, again, we're joined by three players and an assistant coach. And my assumption is you haven't had a lot of contact with each other in the last few years. So it's an honor, it's a pleasure, and it's a privilege to be part of this small reunion this morning. Thanks. I wanted to jump right in. I was doing some reading about core values in any program, and it's been said that core values are the building blocks for achieving a winning culture. We're 30 years removed from that Elite Eight run, but what are the enduring core values of the program that stick with you today? Anyone can go ahead and answer. Well, I would say digging deep, you know? There's nothing that's gonna test you, like mentally, physically, as the process we went through to prepare for games, the practices were harder than games. And I can say for myself, there's been times I've uh, tapped into that where you know I, there was something I didn't want to do or I, I had had enough of, and I could you know always know you can always go deeper. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't get tested that way, and I guarantee you, all of us did. 30 years later as an adult, do you apply those lessons you learned going through those practices to your adult life? Me personally, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, that was a big part of who I am as a person today, you know? You know, I've traveled the world, I've played ball all around the world, I've lived all over the country and the world, and but I would say that that little stint in my life really defined who I am in a, in a lot of ways, you know? And the, my best friends are still from that team. The people I talk to the most are still from that team. So as core values, yeah, I guess, you know. <laughs> Thank you. You know what, can I, I would say also uh, teamwork is a big one for me because I felt like um, that team was this, you know, we joined this team and we really leaned on each other because it was what, as Blade was saying, um, harder than, you know, the practices were harder and we would be sitting there like kind of complaining and like hurting and then you just kind of look at each other and we just push each other along. And I think that's also what got us through some of these games. You know, when you look back and see some of the teams that we played and, and beat up, you would you in some cases you'd say uh you know they're, they're, that team has no business beating up you know these national powers but we did because we leaned on each other so when i look at now my business life i'd always i preach teamwork quite a bit 
And I always think about that as I'm like looking at these guys and, you know, bent over. I was a freshman at the time. I remember bent over and like wanting to cry, you know, and there's blades out there leading the charge in, in doing these 800s and 400s and things I never even heard of before. So to me, that's important. And that's something that I instill in, in my team and my kids. And Greg? Um, I would say for me, it was, uh, it was the opportunity to, to figure out, to kind of, you know, take off of what Christian was saying, to figure out what my job was and to do that to the best of my ability, knowing that I was working for the guy next to me, right? <laughs> like one of, and, and, you know, you know, Blade and I are laugh. You know, one of the favorite things, and I'll never forget this probably as long as I live, one of Paul, one of Paul's favorite isms is never do boo-boo when boo will do. <laughs> right? So it's like figure out what your role is and do that. Right? But then the way we played, it was a domino effect, right? Like if Christian didn't get the ball out as fast as he could, then he slowed Tony up. And then Tony couldn't get the ball down the court. Then Bo was pissed because now Bo's still in the lane and he's not getting the rock. And then he's late getting the ball to Jeff because Jeff's already in his shooting pocket, right? So, and then it's it just everything works so long as everybody's working to their maximum knowing I got to do my best because I got to get, you know, I got to get the next guy ready. And, and that kind of builds off of some of that teamwork that Chris was talking about. Teamwork sacrifice for sure. You sacrifice for the guy next to you. Just like they talk in the military, stuff like that. You're not comparing sports to military, but you definitely did things that you may not have wanted to do, but that may help the, the overall team and the guy next year. So. so Coach Woods, you just had three former players say to you and say to everyone listening, we learned to dig deep. We learned teamwork. We learned that our job dictated the ability of a teammate to do his job. How were you successful at communicating that to your players? Uh, you know, I th it was interesting because I think Paul Westhead, I think these guys knew how much he was committed to that system. It was so unique. He was the only team in the country. So I'm like, I need uh, there's, there's Jeff Fryer. How you doing, Free Bird? What's up, Fryer? <laughs> so it, anyway, um, he was so committed to that system that I think, you know, and, and Greg hit the nail on the head there, everything was tied in. So. For example, from a coach's standpoint, most coaches, when they ran a break, had an end to the break. So when, when your break, when your fast break didn't work, you went into your secondary offense. We didn't have that. And we, we just had a fast break because coach always felt like, and I heard him do so many clinics and all the practices and things we had, people say, well, coach, what do you do if the break doesn't work? He goes, well, it has to work because that's all we have. <laughs> I mean, we had play sets, uh, but – he was so committed to that. I think that's – and the players saw that. And, you know, and then – and everybody just fed off of each other. And now we, we have been joined by Jeff Fryer. I know you're on mute, Jeff, if you want to take yourself off mute and say hello to your former teammates and former coach. What's up, guys? I can't see any, any, everybody because I'm on my phone. Uh, you can slide it to the right and left and see everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kind of not very techy. 
There's no, I got right there, right? <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> on a walk in the park. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm going for a hike. Yeah, Jeff, you're joined by Bruce Woods, in case you can't see everyone, Chris Knight, Christian Scott, Greg Walker, and I'm Steve Wax with my co-host, Brad Enright. Um, and God. Jeff, all right, all right. Jeff, I know your time is limited, but we'd love to bring you into this conversation. Your former teammates just said the three core values they learned playing in Westhead's system were the ability to dig deep, to fight through those practices that were harder than games, teamwork, leaning on each other when we were hurting, and knowing our job, knowing that if we didn't do what we were supposed to do, our teammate couldn't do what he was supposed to do. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, definitely. We all had to buy into the system or it didn't work. You know, if one guy was uh, lagging or whatever, you know, we had to f have full commitment from everybody. And that's what made it work so well. <clears throat> Plus, we, you know, had we we're in such good shape. We had the conditioning program and, and just uh, we respected coach so much. And uh, that's why we, we bought in because he had our respect. And uh, not only because winning the NBA championship, because he was a great motivator and a, um, just a positive, positive guy. I mean, just a unique coach because of the way he ran the system and the way he uh, motivated us by, by giving us the green light. You know, all of us had the green light to shoot. So. Well, it's interesting you bring up. No, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. No, a lot of people that aren't close to basketball think, oh, you guys didn't play any defense. But we busted our ass playing full court defense the whole, the whole game, you know, and we were exhausted most of the time. But the other team was more exhausted than us. So that's when we had the advantage. Thank you. Now, Terrell Lowry hey. won't. Hey, just hey, just being funny. We didn't all have a green light. Let's. Hey, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah. like, I know I those green lights. Light. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> maybe, maybe different shades of green, closer to red, but <laughs> I had a yellow light. <laughs> I think just the only guy on the light had a green light. <laughs> no. Yeah, there was no lights for Jeff. It was just yeah. get it up in the okay. air. Jeff, Jeff had Jeff had the police escort. Yeah. He was on top of the hill going downhill with no lights. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, I, I can share a quick story about Jeff and the ultimate green light. We were playing Portland, and I don't mean to bring this up, Jeff, but it's just such a good story. We were playing Portland at Portland, and it was one of those times Jeff was just off that night. The shooters have that. You know, yeah. he was off. Really and, off. Yeah, he was off. That was probably – and I don't mean to bring up this, but it's just so good – so coach took him out in the second half and said, do you know why I took you out, Jeff? And Jeff goes, yeah, because I can't make a shot. And he goes, no, because you stopped shooting. Now get back in there. And he put him back yeah. in. I think he, he missed five more shots. <laughs> what, was <your> line, <laughs> what was your line that day when he took you out? You were like 0 for 18. But, uh, oh, I was 2 for 23. I remember 2 that. for 23. <laughs> that could be uh, uh, 23 shots in one game. And – but. That never happened, but just the point that Coach said, the only reason I'm taking you out is because you stop shooting. Get back in there and keep shooting. Yeah. Um, he was, Steve, yeah. Steve Wax, something that I would uh, point out, uh, something else I took from our team, is you spot a leader. You were able 
for the rest of my life, I was able to spot a leader. If you say whatever you want about Paul Westhead, he was a leader of men. He had yeah. all our respects, Orange County, Philly, South Central LA, everyone respected mm -hmm. that man. So in the rest of my life, I played basketball a lot longer than just Loyola. I could spot when there was a guy that had no idea what he was doing or should not be in charge of people. In my business life, in my work life, it's always been, I can spot a guy, you know, that you can follow, you can lead, you can, you can take a, you, you can work with, you know. It, he definitely showed me something as a, as a, a leader. Okay. So to Chris Knight, who made that comment, and to the entire group, can you follow up and tell me, what are those qualities that that leader has that allow you to spot that leader? Honesty, straight shooter. No, no sugar coating. Definitely for me. I needed it. Christian Scott, can you repeat what you said, please? Yeah, sorry, Blair. I was going to say confidence. You know, someone that comes in that says, this is what we're doing. This is how. And the intelligence has to be there, obviously, like the, the why is there. But, you know, like um, as, as Chris was saying, you know, is, is integrity and honesty. And you can see that in people right away, but that confidence too. And just, you know, when he would step up on the court and say, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to face guard the team the entire, the entire time and we're going to push. And you're just looking at him like, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, this, this guy's crazy. But we were like going, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. You know, and you're just like, it's, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, naive on my part, but I was like, oh, yeah, I don't care what this guy says. I'm in, you know, and I just think I agree with you, boy. I mean, right after you know, you could see right away, like, oh, this ain't going to work from the next guy or what have you. But, you oh, know, exactly. when he goes, you're all in. I, I think I think with Paul, there was a, with with the confidence and the intelligence, I, for with us being, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, he had the ability, and it's funny because I actually am in charge of, a, you know, leadership in, in a, at a high school level. He was able to foreshadow, right? I mean, he was able to, to articulate, if you do X, Y, Z will happen. You know, it's like, to Christian's point, hey, if you face guard constantly, and if Jeff keeps shooting at about, you know, 12 minutes left in the second half, they'll quit. Hmm. He's like, just, just give me that time. Just do exactly what I ask, and they'll quit. And then just kind of in front of us, you're watching the game, and you're like, holy shit, this is, you know, like Chip used to say, TMF, right? Oh, my God, this dude just tapped out. And we still got 12 minutes left. And to Blade's point, because practice was harder, oh, we're rolling now. You know what I mean? So he was able to foreshadow what could happen if we kind of fully committed to, to what he was trying to uh, do. Let me say one more last too. thing. I'm sorry, Jeff. Let me say this last thing. I don't know if you guys remember this. Paul used to say this thing in, in, in before we started a game or at halftime of a game, he would say, if they play the best they play and we play the best we play, we beat them by 30, right? And <laughs> the thing is, you believed him. He said it against oh. Michigan. He'd say it against North Carolina. Anyone we were playing, he said that, and we were stupid enough to believe him <laughs> because sometimes we had no – reason to believe him. UNOV, they play the best they play, we play the best we play, we win by 30. And I say, man, what confidence he put in us. You know, he's instilled in the whole team. Man, Blake, you have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs>
Mine's not as good. But um, I would say that he is super calm under pressure. You know, he never cracked. He was always he, – he, his emotions weren't too high or low. You know, he would – he was calm into the tough circumstances too. And, uh, you know, during games, whatever, a lot of coaches go crazy. But he was – he'd only get really pissed if they knocked the ball out of the net when they scored a basket uh, from what I remember. But, um, but he was calm. You know, he – He'd get on us, of course. He was disciplined to get on us, but but during like games and tough circumstances, he was super calm, and and that's what I I liked about him too. And I agree with all you guys what you said too. That it was hit the nail on the head. All your comments. So I guess you can see the theme, Steve. It all goes back to Paul and Bruce and all the coaches, but Paul. You know, yeah. the, you know that system doesn't work without him. Right, because he because he was unwavering. Right, it's Jeff yeah. goes to for 23. You know, we give up 80 points and a half to Oklahoma, you know, at home or whatever. It's like, okay, here we go. You know, there was no, this isn't working tonight, so let's turn it off and let's go to, you know, let's go to plan B. You know, there, there was no plan B. This is what we did. And you showed up and did it. And if it worked out, fantastic. If it didn't, then we'd have to go back to the drawing board and, and practice harder. You know what I remember the most uh, from Paul, which I to this day still think is incredible and Bruce and all you guys was, I remember we would all be out on the courts or on the field with our running shoes on, you know, and just everybody would be talking about like, what's going to happen today? What's going to, and Bruce would come out, have his little paper tucked in his shorts and he would like leave it on the table for us so we can just get a quick peek to see what practice is going to be like. And we'd be like, oh God, it's going to be a hard one, right? That's or it's right. like, oh, we got X amount of 200s and 400s and 800s. And so we'd have to psych ourselves up. But the one thing I always remember, and I've never had another coach do it, is we would run these practices and we, they, were, they were killer, man. They were so hard. And at the very end, we're going, you know, sideline to sideline or we're doing something that's nuts. And right when I was like going, all right, I'm done. I'm about to tap out. Practice would be over, right? It would be like, boom. And the, and the thing is, uh, my point is, he knew how to get every last ounce out of us, uh, out of his players and his team. And I've never had a coach do that again. Like there were times after that, I was like, I'd be tired in practices with different coaches going, why am I tired? Like this guy, I ran more and did more with this other guy than I do with you. And I'm like, I, it's just not the same. And I just think that is a quality that goes unspoken because, you know, he can get the most out of players with, Really good talent, marginal talent, my talent, whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it was impressive. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I was marginal. I could shoot a little bit. But I, going back to what Greg said um, about unwavering, you know, that was <clears> – he <throat> didn't waver with the fast break no matter what. And it was some freaking exciting basketball, you know. I mean, if it didn't work, it looked pretty ugly. But when it did work, it was super – super exciting so you know people look at that and it was I'm sure it was exciting to watch it but it was also exciting to play in that system and the fact that he is unwavering and I know like my, my freshman year he went to his own defense and it didn't work as well because we didn't really have the the guys but um, after that it, it worked fantastic and he got the, like like Chris said Christian said we he got the most out of his talent. He squeezed the most out of us. Um, and we had a chance because we ran that way. And 
it gave us a chance to win against seven footers and six ten guys because we ran the way we did. And it's been and it's funny. I mean, it, it, it's perfect, right? I mean, let's just let's just call it like it was, right? Paul put in place a system that, as college kids, we're like, wait a minute, we can we can <laughs> compete and not and if not beat a lot of these top tier teams, which means we're gonna be in the paper, which means we're gonna be on TV, which means people are gonna know who we are, and we're in LA. Oh yeah, we're I'm in. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's, the, it's the ultimate appeal to an 18 to 22-year-old. You know, I mean, we were kind of the – I mean, for that year, we were kind of the kings of L.A. for a little bit. The Lakers the sucked. Of LA. It was good <laughs> timing. The Lakers sucked. I, don't <laughs> I, mean, know, I mean, they sucked those years. I mean, so it was great. We were the, I mean, <laughs> Wax, we were, the, we were the princes of L.A. Now, who's not going to buy into that as an 18-year-old? Hmm. All you got to do is just, you know – and it's funny, Christian, uh, when you talked about all we were running, we ran more than that. Because, Woodsy, I'm still pissed at, like, you and, and, and Judas and, 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 um, and Jay for kicking out them damn cones. We knew what 200 was, but you kicked out them edges a little far. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I still laugh. Um, when you guys would do the sand dune in Manhattan Beach, we go do that workout I don't know, every other week or whatever it was, or once a week. And um, I, I would stand at the top of that hill and I had to stopwatch because we would time you. And I remember saying, finish strong, finish strong. And Paris Steamer got to the top of that hill. And I don't know if he said it in Swedish or English, but he was dropping the bomb. And he said every cuss word I couldn't even understand. He goes, don't ever say that again to me, finish strong. So <laughs> what you guys don't know is uh, that weekend, it was preseason that weekend, I went over and I did the sand dune. You know, I wasn't much older than you guys at the time. And I did that sand dune, and my legs turned into rubber about halfway up that hill. I never again said finish strong when we came to the sand dune, ever. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something. That conditioning, what you guys went through in the conditioning program, it was a track workout. It was a track now, workout. In a can I tell you, we loved Bruce. Everyone loves Bruce. One of my favorite people in the world, always was, always will be. There was times I hated Bruce. <laughs> when, he, when he was looking down and giving us encouragement while we're in hell no i don't want to hear you right now <laughs> i know i learned my lesson when i went and did it myself and i said that's it i'm never saying finish strong again on that sand dune i got you know the most violent we ever got was because you had the sand dune then you had the stairs on the side yeah anyway i remember standing on the stairs in the side and it would be like you would be going in intervals, you know, so you run up and everybody's encouraging each other. Come on, I got you. I got you. And then it was, all right, if you pass the guy in front of you, you're done. Right. And I've never seen a running MMA more than that, because if that dude's coming on your back, which I got to say, there were quite a few coming on my back. It was full out war. Like you're grabbing, pushing, throwing people over the rail because I'm like, no, 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 I'm not getting past. You know, that was, it was crazy. You know, it's funny. We had a couple of you guys remember this and the years kind of run together for me, but I, I think it was the 90 year, but we would get some of the Lakers. Like I remember Kirk Grambus came out and conditioned with us and AC Green would ride his bike over and they'd meet us, but they only did it once. <laughs> remember they came over. And I'll never forget Kirk Grambus came over because he played for Paul with the Lakers. And Kirk Grambus came over and he, he did the workout with us. And he sat down, he started, when he was finished, he started yelling at coach a little bit, like, coach, this is ridiculous, you can't do this. 
Um, and coach just pointed to me and goes, hey, I this. this is Woodsy's conditioning. And I, and I said to Kurt Rambis, I said, Kurt, this was a joint decision. He goes, well, what did you two do? Smoke a joint before you decided to do that? <laughs> that was Kurt Rambis said that one time he showed up. And I think AC Green came twice, and that was it. It was funny. Hey, quiet as kept. We was I was a little winded after the after the plyos just to get loose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Uh... Yeah, exactly. So, what did you do? Every you guys are speaking so positively about your time, but there's always a player who doesn't really fit with the rest of the team, who's maybe not on board. How did players acclimate to being on board? And did you have anyone, don't name names, but were there players who just didn't fit with what you were trying to do? Oh, a few guys broke, left the program. You know, one guy ended up being like our manager, like, you know, <laughs> taking care of the shorts and stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. Um, it, it wasn't for everyone, absolutely, absolutely. You know, he, he, he Westhead knew what he was getting. He, he knew who to pick, you know, because some guys are just not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, years, you know, in uh, years, uh, even a year after or, or two, I forget which year it was, and saying the years kind of go together. I remember Brian McCluskey and I were walking across the uh, the lawn to, with our, you know, running shoes and one on our feet and basketball shoes in our hand. We've all been there. And I'm, we're going, and there was a kid who, uh, this is the first semester, we look over and the he's driving his truck and it's filled to the top with all his boxes and his bags and things like that, just leaving campus, right? The point guard. And, <laughs> yep, exactly. We just talk we talked <laughs> about that because of how Tony and yep. uh, Terrell, oh, they hated every other point guard. So uh, they would like it, torture those we were guys. Like, he can, he's going to replace Fryer. He's a shooter. <laughs> he's going to replace Fryer. We're like, oh, no. this is amazing. We're so... That dude was gone. Like it was semester wasn't even over. He was like, I'm out. That's crazy. That's, that's why I give you have to give um, Greg Walker his respect because they put him through the ringer for sure. Hey, remember what they say? They said if you can finish the conditioning, you can make this team, right? And and Greg and uh, shout out to Northern California. That dude was like, I'm in. And they, you know what? That's how you know. Hey, it was it was it was it was all about for me and and I and I appreciate that y'all. It was just an opportunity about figuring out to Christian's point what limit that I could kind of withstand. But then ultimately, and it's 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 what I try to tell high school kids: don't be afraid of the work, but don't wish for what you want to do. Go get it, right? And I knew that that meant a I couldn't quit. And in some cases, hey, Terrell, you're fast, but I'm right behind you. You know what I mean? And I knew that if I pushed, then that means that Terrell had to be a little bit better. Or, you know what I'm saying? I'm making Tony work better or whatever have you. So it was just, it, it was, you know, I was blessed to have the opportunity. Um, but yeah, it was one of these guys' respect. Um, and I wanted to go on a journey with them. It just, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but you, that's the trick, right? Don't be afraid of the work. And going with that, Coach Woods, any team, no matter how cohesive they are, they're going to have moments where a player is having a bad day in terms of attitude. I'm not talking about having a bad performance. 
how did you work on team discipline and correcting maybe a player? Because how do you make a guy run when your whole program is predicated on running? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, you know, we didn't have to do a whole lot of discipline. The team, if, and you guys jump in if I'm if, if you want to correct me. I, I felt like there was such um, strong leadership on the team that they kind of self-disciplined them. You know what I mean? Now, if you missed a class, or if you were, or if you missed class, or you didn't do something academically, then you would have a six a.m. You know, the next morning, and I had to be the guy out there to do it. But as far as on the discipline, I mean, I think, you know, Hank. It was really to me. I thought it was Hank's team. I mean, he he was such a a strong personality and such a strong leader that, and he was off the court. Hank was a you know maybe I missed this, but he was real straight too. Like he didn't get into any trouble or wasn't drinking and never did no. anything like that. So. I think the players respected him that all the on the court stuff kind of was self-correcting. The players took care of themselves. You know, it didn't, it, you know, there were some little minor things off the court and, you know, there would be some fights now and then, <laughs> you know, emotions got high, but nothing, uh, nothing that was abnormal. So it really wasn't a, that team was special in that, that, that regard. Player. I think you consistent with the discipline, you know, unless there was a big, Game tone, uh, which for all coaches, I think that's the right, Bruce. Right, Bruce. Say that one more time. <laughs> kind of cut I out. Think the, the discipline was consistent, you know, and when guys got in trouble, unless there was a big game coming up. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, that's right, how right, all right, coaches yeah. are. That's how all coaches are, right? That's funny. Yeah, right. No, when there's a big kidding, game. No, I know. Where, where, the thing Westhead told me, and I'll never forget, he was like, Blade Man, I I can take the kid out of the city, but I, I don't want to take the city out of the kid. So <laughs> he 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 dealt with it. You know, he he knew what, you know, I was from South Central LA. I don't think, I think I've probably seen three white people in my life, you know, and then I get thrown into Loyola. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was definitely culture shock. And I, you know, I really appreciate that he rode that out with me, you know. I had to figure it out, and I definitely did. I wanted to say something because I got to go in a minute. This is for you, Steve Wax. I always do my research whenever I, you know, deal with anyone. And I do know you, but not like Joaquin and Rob and Tony. Those guys know you. And I asked them about you, and it was nothing but praise. And this guy is one of the best people in the world. He said, do whatever you, he wants. He would definitely do it for you. So I just wanted to give you the heads up as well. You know, you really made an impression on people that I consider brothers. So, yeah. you know, it was really great to do this for you. But I, you know, I gotta go. So, see you. Guys. I gotta go. All right, All right, All right. see ya. Love, brothers. Good see you. Blade. I got. Yeah. And uh, I gotta bounce too. I'm going into the mountains. I'm going on a hike right now. So thanks, Steve, for organizing. Yeah. Thank you so much. All for right, Jeff. Good seeing you, Freebird. See you, boys. See you, my brothers. Mm -hmm. However, this, this is going great, and I hope you do have some time because uh, I know Brad and I are having a ball, and we'd, we'd love to hear more. In fact, we may be able to get a little more focused um, with the group being a little smaller. So I wanted to follow up on something that Blade started talking about. And Terrell Lowry once told me that nobody could motivate you the way Coach Westhead did. Can you remember specifically what was special or unique about Coach Westhead's approach to motivation? Um, I, you know, so 
what I, I'll start a couple ways. I mean, there's a couple ways to do it. It's just one is, um, and we talked about it earlier, looking for the leadership is just how genuine he was and how uh, down to earth he was and how he connected no matter where you're from. So, you know, Chris was talking about, he's from South Central, I'm from the East Bay. Like he could connect with everybody in a, in a genuine way. And I think for me, um, he just came out with ideas that you never heard of, right? So growing up playing basketball, you had to do this and you did that. And then I remember him, he was like, come down and shoot that ball, right? And I remember a practice one throwing, I was out for some reason, I have no idea, but I was out in the corner running the three and uh, Terrell threw the ball to me and I was open, I was wide open, but I was deep, man. And for me, I had never, I would played center my whole life, right? So I had never shot something like that. So I waited, someone cut, I made a great pass, dude laid it up, and all of a sudden I hear the whistle blowing, and he's up on the in the stands, he comes down the stands and he's yelling at me, he's like, when my point guard passes you the ball and you're open, you shoot it, right? And I was looking at this guy like he's nuts, right? Because I'm like, have you seen me shoot? Man, you don't want me shooting that ball, right? <laughs> and sure enough, we do it again, go out, and I shoot that thing, and I'm pretty sure it didn't go in. And he just up, I look up, and he's just up there clapping, and I was like, this guy's all world. Like, I'll do whatever that he wants, you know? <laughs> and, and But then through that preseason, you find your role, and you find out where you should be in the right place, and, and it's right for you, and that's, that's what really motivated me. Great. Yeah, I, I think it was, and, and, you know, being 17 and 18, it was kind of eerie, but it's almost like Paul talked to everybody, but then he talked to you at the, you know, it's almost like if you have a conversation with Paul, and like I said, it's eerie for a 17 year old, like he's looking you right in your eye. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh my God, this dude is really like digging into my soul. He's not trying to talk over me. He's not talking to the guy behind me. He's directing his commentary right at you. So to me, it's almost as if he's taking an interest in me as an individual, right? And then to Christian's point, it's all right, let's, let's all fall in line. And I think it's kind of, he did a wonderful job of painting the picture of what it could be. We just had to fill in the, you know, the specific colors, right? It was, Hey guys, this is what's going to happen. You know, we're going to go up here. I mean, it's, it was almost, you know, if we take the Pacific Northwest trip, you know, and he's like, oh, you know, all right, let's go ahead and mop Portland. Let's mop Gonzaga and then we'll get ready for Pepperdine. Or more importantly, he was so focused on us rather than the opponent, right? And Wizzy will probably remember each of the assistants used to have the scouts, <laughs> you know, and it would be, you know, Wizzy would be, all right. All right, here's, here's, you know, here's going to be the starting lineup for USF. And here's what this guy does. And here's what this guy does. And you kind of see Paul kind of panting in the corner. And he'd be like, all right, all right, enough of what they do. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so it's almost like regardless of what anybody else does, if we've got our stuff right, it should go the way we want. Coach Woods. Yeah. All the players this morning have talked about the freedom they had within the offense. Christian saying, I played center my whole life. They passed me the ball behind the three, and I'm encouraged to shoot it. Did you ever feel like, as the assistant, you had to tell the head coach, maybe we shouldn't be so liberal with the privileges these players are having on the floor? Was it almost a, a reverse of what happens at most programs where the assistants are kind of begging the head coach to be a little more loose? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, definitely. We would say that like we, I mean, he's not on the call today, but one of our good buddies, Tom Peabody, we did not want Peabody shoot the ball from uh, the three lane. <laughs> and he would laugh if he would laugh if he was here, but you know, everybody had their role. And I think um, it, it was funny because that was coach's way of motivating the players. He, he, he gave everyone total freedom and he knew that that individual player wouldn't, you know, would do the right thing when it came his way. You know, he would do the right thing. But, um, yeah, but there was a lot of times we would have that conversation with uh, with uh, Coach. And, um, you know, and Greg said it, you know, Pepperdine would run one play, a pick and roll play. It was so easy to defend. And he would give us, like, two seconds at the shoot around to put it in. He goes, okay, you can go over that play. And because um, he didn't care about the opponent. He just said if we did our thing, let's just do our thing. Let's do it better than, uh, you know, the, the other he was – as a Shakespearean scholar, he had all these different quotes, like Greg said the one earlier, but uh, someone said, well, coach, you put all your eggs in, all your eggs in one basket. Do you feel that don't you? that's not right to put all your eggs in one basket? And he said, well, as Mark Twain would say, put all your eggs in one basket, then watch that basket. You know, like that was his, and he believed in that. And I think that's where he got all the guys to buy in and all the players. And, you know, I had a, a unique, and I call it a privilege, but I had a privilege to work with coach four more years at George Mason without the players, without the team. And he was as consistent then for those four years. I mean, we had some years we were 11 and 17 and we just couldn't quite get it going, but um, he was exactly the same with that team, exactly as he was as far as um, his approach and his commitment and the motivation. Um, so it was interesting to see both sides of it. Well, I love when people say that system doesn't work without the players. Can you think of a system that does work without players? Because yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. Very good point. But what that system will do, I mean, I always, this team, the guys on this call now and um, that 90 team and even the years prior to that, we played some teams, I think of the Michigan game. And there was a lot going on in that game. I mean, I think we had some spiritual influence during that run I mean for sure but if you look on paper they had four first round picks two lottery picks you know Lloyd Vought went to the Clippers I think he was second player taken Ramil Robinson was like seventh player Sean Higgins um, Terry Mills I mean they had four first round players and what we did to that team that day they decided to run with our team and and that game was just we had no right win in that game I mean as far as like on paper but what this team did. So what the system was able to do, if you had everybody buying in at the right time and everybody doing their role, you could beat teams that were on paper better than you, or, you know, I, I think. And, and we did uh, that, you know, several times. It's, it's, Wax, it's a perfect story. During that game, I remember clear as day, the game, we're going out for, for warm-ups, right? After Paul said, hey, let it fly, let it fly. And we're in the warm-up line, and it, I believe it's me and uh, God, was it Shug? Uh, yeah, me and Marcus Slater. Mm -hmm. And we're looking, we're like, ooh, if they can figure out a way to slow this down, this could be a long afternoon, right? And then the game starts going up and down, and Michigan's on offense, and they're by our, you know, bench. And Marcus and I are on the bench, and probably Marcellus, laughing hysterically as the game's going on. 
and the ball comes out of bounds, and uh, it could have been Sean Higgins, it could have been somebody else, and we're literally laughing at them. And it's, you know, first five, six minutes in, and, you know, 18-year-olds, a bunch of expletives, but it's like, what are y'all laughing at? And we're like, we're about to kick y'all ass, and you have no idea what's coming. You have absolutely no idea what's about to happen. Because we're like, oh, you you guys going to try to play pace? Oh, this is a wrap. Well, let me tell you this. This is a good story, too, and it, it feeds off of that. So after uh, after Loyola, I ended up working at Nike. I was at Nike for a while doing sports marketing, doing hat stuff, and a good friend of mine is Rudy Garcinduenas. So all those years of the Lakers would come and play, you know, uh, would play at Loyola in practice. I would hang out with Rudy. We actually would go and uh, hang out afterwards. So I'm in the locker room handing out hats to the Lakers, you know, with Rudy and Robert Ory's in there. And so we're like looking at all, and Robert Ory played Alabama, right? And they tried to slow it down, and we, we ended up winning that game, whatever. So they said, hey, this, and Rudy goes, hey, Robert, this is Christian. He played at Loyola Marymount. And he looked at us, and he's like, yeah, we wanted to run with y'all. That's what he said. And I go, yeah, so did Michigan. They lost by 32. <laughs> and then it was like, and then the whole time I'm just going, oh, I'm just talking shit to a guy who just has got more rings than I'll ever see, but who cares, you know? I actually ended up seeing, um, God, was it two years ago? Uh, as a family, my wife and I, we go to the celebrity golf tournament up in uh, Lake Tahoe quite frequently. And I happened to be at the, you know, walk in and Chris Weber's coming off of the putting green. Um, and whatever, I, a friend of mine's like in love with him, so I got his autograph for her or whatever. And I was like, hey, I was on that Loyola team, you know, that we, we, we beat, you know, when we beat you guys in the NC2A. And he was like, damn, you guys destroyed us. And then I was like, yeah, I'm glad we got them that year. And it wasn't the following year because it might have been a little different with the Fab Five. So. One question I wanted to ask real quick, guys, you talk about, you know, the the ball out of bounds in front of your bench and you're telling Sean Higgins that, hey, this this game is over. You just don't know it yet, but with a little more colorful language. Were there times where guys would literally just be, you know, would you guys stop doing this? Would they ask you to just kind of slow down, take your foot off the gas because they were just gassed? They were tired from what you were doing because you were just beating them down so much? Or were they just when they just keep playing? I mean, Christian and Woodsy will probably know this story better. I remember um, as a walk-on that year, I didn't make the road trips. So I was actually watching in my dorm room um, the game at LSU, right? And I can't remember the, the player's name, but, I mean, it's like this. And he's visibly looking at his bench like, come get me, come get me. You know what I mean? And that's what it was. It was, if you don't do what we do, then there's no way you can keep up. It's like physically impossible. But then as a basketball player, your pride kicks in. And somehow your pride can get you in trouble that way. Yeah, you just would know it would click, right? You would start off and they would be going back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden it would just click. I just remember one time, guys just hit me. Go, there it is, and and you just see it where where it's in it's in this motion, perpetual motion of back and forth, and we're just like smiling, even when they're shooting layups, like oh here we go, and it goes back, and then you would just see them slowly break, break, and we just didn't know any better, right? That's just how it was with us, and so again, it was just when people said, well, what were you thinking? I was like, we didn't, we just kept going because that's all we knew. There was no other way, as I think Woodsy said in the beginning. There was fast break. That was it. There was a, you know, maybe we'd run a play or two, but you could probably count on one hand 
the amount of plays you would run in one half, right? So it was, and you know, and the best part about it, I would always like look over what's the play, and and um, coach is in there, and he's doing like this with his hands, and like, and we're all going, oh, it's play number two. But now you yeah. look at uh, you know film, I'm like, what is he doing? Like he's just like flashing. There's no numbers or anything, you know. But you know, we just knew at that time. You know, I think that weekend, um, there's a lot of side stories in that LSU weekend. Um, that was Shaq's freshman year. So we played them. But just at, from a basketball standpoint, and uh, Steve, I know you were a coach at Loyola's too. And, but this was our schedule. We played a conference game on Thursday. I think it was St. Mary's or Santa Clara. I can't remember that Thursday game. We won that game like 147 to 100-something. We beat uh, a league opponent. Jumped on a flight on Friday, went down to LSU, played Saturday at noon on CBS national game, Shaq's freshman year. That game went into double overtime, and we did lose at like 148 to 144. We got on a plane that afternoon, flew home and played USF on Sunday and beat them at home 157 to yeah. something. So that, and most coaches would say, like the league let us move our game. We were Thursday, Saturday. The league let us move that game to Sunday. But most coaches said, I'm not going to play Saturday and Sunday. And I mean, they would never do that. But Coach Westhead did. And we, and we damn near beat a really good team on the road at LSU. And um, it was just crazy. It was just a crazy. Um, well, they didn't just have Shaq too, right? Stanley Roberts and Chris oh, Jackson. Jackson. That team was Chris loaded. Chris Jackson, Stanley Roberts. Uh, um, Three they, NBA, had, they had four NBA dudes on that team. Yeah, four NBA yeah. players on that team. And. And that's, uh, um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of sidebar stories in that. But that yeah. that game, Hank's first four or five shots were blocked. Yeah. Stanley Roberts got him three times and Zach got him once. So at the 16-minute timeout, like whatever it was, um, at that timeout, Hank had zero points. And he started yelling, not at Coach Westhead, but he was yelling to the team saying, keep giving me the ball. Coach, make sure these guys give me the ball. And I think he ended – you could check the stats, but he ended up with like 43 points and 27 rebounds after. It was amazing. That was just yeah. one of the best college games I ever saw. Never. No. Just incredible. And I think, see, that's, I think that's kind of the, like, that's the culmination of how it worked for us, right? We've got Paul as a leader from a coaching perspective and what he's instilling in us. And then you've got a guy like Hank who's not quitting for anybody on any day of the week in anything, right? So with those two people kind of at the direction, you've only got one choice, either fall in or fall out. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just that's what it was. There was no, eh, maybe I'll just kind of go light on Tuesday. No, because either Hank's going to call you out or Coach is going to call you out. Right. You know what I mean? And when you see – and. I think Hank's trajectory was, I'm going to get to the league to change the trajectory of the life I had when I was with the Dobbins, right? So nothing was going to stop that. Right. And that was just kind of the work ethic and the keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're not stopping. We're not stopping until we're done. Um, and then that just kind of, we all fed into that. So let's talk about Hank. My understanding was sometimes you actually had to talk to him on game day about not doing things external to basketball that might tire him out for the game. Like he would actually run sprints after shoot around. Is that, 
Is that a legend that's grown or was he genuinely that person? That he was putting an extra work even on game day, sprinting. Yeah, that, that, so how I remember that, and you guys, um, the players can jump in on this too. I, I think um, it's always a tough topic, but I think what happened in that scenario, that was after Hank was on his medication. Okay. So the medication made him sluggish. So one way to get the sluggishness out, he would jump rope and do extra laps on game day after shoot around because he didn't. He wanted to come to the game fresh. Like he kind of, in his mind, like we touched on this earlier, Hank was very protective of his body. He didn't drink. He didn't do anything to harm his body. Like a lot of college students do, you know, drinking and having fun and partying. And he didn't do any of that. And when he was on that medication, it made him sluggish. So I think that was where that came from. So it is true that he did do that, but it was after um, the December game against Santa Barbara at home. It was after that game when he was had to take that medication. It's, but he felt slowed him down. So that, that's that's when that started, if I if I remember it correctly. Yeah, that sounds about right, Ricky. Yeah. But Hank always was working and doing extra work, you know, even his junior year and leading into his senior year because he, he knew he was going to the NBA. That was um, – yeah, that was, uh, that was his goal. And Hank's real name was Eric Henry Gathers. I don't know if everyone knows that your first son is named Eric Woods. And I think that really speaks to the relationship that you had with Hank. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, um, yeah, our firstborn, he was um, born uh, five years, 1995. So five years almost today, he was born March 10th. Hank passed on March 4th. And he was going to be Eric if he was a boy and Erica if he was a girl. <laughs> so, yeah, I could thank you just that special and such a big part of all of our lives. But he made a impact on, on us. And um, I, uh, my son, too, he's uh, now getting his master's degree. He's 25 years old, teaching um, at a Title I school. Uh, I should get him together with you, Greg Walker, at some point in time. But he's, he's teaching. He's getting his master's degree. And um I'm not a tattoo guy. I've never been a tattoo guy, but he actually has a tattoo of a lion and a and the patch, the 44 patch, right over his heart. He goes, Dad, I just wanted to do this because he studied Hank, you know, after obviously, you know, he was he never, you know, he was born five years after Hank passed, but he, you know, it's a big impact on him as well. So that's kind of neat. And speaking of, I know that when Bo Kimball shot that left-handed free throw in the NCAA tournament. One of the most iconic moments other than that left-handed free throw is seeing Christian get up on the bench yeah. and uh, the clap that you had. How much did the motivation of the tragedy affect the way you approach the NCAA tournament? A ton. I mean, you know, like if I was to say from a player's perspective, I think that first practice back, probably one of the most emotional practices and and there were a few scraps and pushes and and, and hugs and punches and everything you could think of um i would say that was probably one of the you know probably the most important is we just kind of had to flush it out remind ourselves that you know we had to come together as a team kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier but i mean we definitely played at another level um because of that. And I think we definitely came together as a team, as a school, uh, as a community because of that. Uh, 
and you know it 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 definitely propelled us into a way that you know we'll always be remembered or I'll always remember it as well but I just hope it made a you know a bigger impact in 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 terms of life and and family and stuff like that uh, to me that's even I mean we still sit here today and I still think about stuff like that and Bruce's son gets a tattoo over his heart you know to me that impact yeah personally it was amazing for us from a sports side but from just life in general i just see it as you know i still think about it today absolutely it's i think it's the for me it's the quintessential hey guys we're not supposed to be here you know and you know christian mentions from a practicing standpoint we just i think what propelled us in terms of playing is we were tired of practicing Right. It was kind of like, okay, we know what we can do from a strategic standpoint. We know we're in physically better shape than anybody. But we're tired of just practicing. Like we want to go play. You know what I mean? We want to take all these pent up emotions that we've had to 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 bottle up internally. Um and we want to let it out on some people. And you know, whatever the ending score is, the ending score is. Um, but we're going to embody what it is that we are as a team and, and show that to the world. We're not just going to keep this bottled in Gersten Gym and, you know, confine it to a practice setting. Uh, it just it's time to get loose. Um, and I think it's kind of a, it, it's, we were a caged animal at the time. And once that cage door opened, you know, some, some, some very memorable, positive things, some impactful things happened. Um, and it's, it's, it's the trajectory of things, right? It's, wait, we win our first two games in Long Beach, so kind of road games, if you will. Um, and I'm being selfish for myself, Christian, and Terrell, you know, do we get to come back and play in Oakland? So it's like, wait, how the hell, I mean, and once again, selfishly, how the hell am I a walk-on on this team and I'm playing in an NC2A tournament in the Coliseum? Like, that. That should never happen, right? It's like you can't even write that. Um, but it's just, it was an opportunity that, you know, and, and it's funny, 30 years down the line, I remember when I first started teaching and, you know, she's like, oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, you know, you're an athlete, da da da. People I never knew of got emotional and they could tell me where they were when Hank passed or when we beat Michigan. And I'm like, it, it, it's one of those things where when you're insulated, like we think it's just us, right? But it becomes, if you were interested in sport and you were walking on the face of the earth, that impacted you, you know what I mean? And that was kind of the refreshing part that we were kind of able to be involved in something that was bigger than us. You know, um, well said, Greg. From strictly a coaching standpoint, from a coach's eyes, if you remember that time frame, so March 4th, uh, our tournament was canceled and we didn't know what we were going to do. You know, we didn't know if we were going to play. We didn't know if we were going to make the NCAA tournament. We didn't know what, we didn't know what was going to happen. We went 11 days with no basketball. I mean, 11 days, remember, we didn't practice. We didn't do anything. I mean, we went back to Philly for the funeral. We, there was just all kinds of things that were going on. And basketball actually was the last thing on our mind. We, we, we were strictly, it was all about Hank and his family and, we were just also devastated. And when we got back to that first practice, Christian, you had mentioned the emotion, but from a coach's standpoint, it was an awful practice. I mean, it was terrible. We didn't accomplish anything, which, you know, looking, of course, we didn't expect much. And 
we just didn't know what we were going to do. But I remember we got in a circle afterwards and um, coach said, you know, we, we don't have to play. You know, we don't have to play. And Bo, I think it's Bo's leadership came out that day too. And Bo said, look, we're playing. I'm telling you, we are playing. This is what Hank would want us to do. And we're going to play. And then just to take it one step further, when we kind of got all that together, we played New Mexico State in the first game, first round down the Long Beach. But people don't remember this. New Mexico State was very good. They yeah. were well coached. They had Randy Brown as the point guard. Uh, I think they had another pro on that team. But if you remember, no one talks about this. They were co-champs of the Big West. They beat UNLV that year. UNLV had one loss, and it was to New Mexico State. So they were co-champs with them. They shared that. And then, you know, UNLV went on to win, beat Duke and won, you know, beat us in the to go the, to the Final Four. And then they beat, you know, Duke by 30 and um, – they were just a special team, but that team, that New Mexico State team, was really good. They were, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this would be a great place to stop, unless anyone has any comments in conclusion. I would just say, from from the bottom of my heart, thanks for having us. I mean, it's always good seeing you know the team talking about them and, and doing that, and and you know, like I would just say, uh, you know. We appreciate it, and you know, best of luck on on this program. Seems like it's an amazing program, so thank you. Absolutely, I'm gonna second that. Good for you, Wax. I know we've known each other for a long time. It's good to kind of see you develop. You know, from being a manager to being a coach to not getting your doctorate. I mean, it looks like it's a it's a life love for you. So um, I appreciate the opportunity for you to bring us kind of into the fold, and then kind of what you're going to inspire other people to do. So. Um, Do we have to call you doctor now? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I'll just, uh, I'll wrap it up too by just saying thank you, um, uh, Steve, for having us and um, Brian, um, for all of us. Uh, I can't, I don't even have my glasses on just for Brad. I'm sorry, Brad. Uh, but I, I will say this too, you know, we've had some reunions and they're just, when we get back to those reunions, like when the statue unveiling just this February, right before COVID, um, and the reunions, it's like we've never, you know, I know it's been 30 years, but when we all get together, it's, it's just, um, it's always like we've never been apart that long, you know. It's just, as you go through life, I've always said this, as you go through different phases of your life, you, every now and then, if you're lucky enough, if you're fortunate, you come across a special group. You just, it just clicks. Greg, you probably have had it in teaching, like, man, that class was just special, that one group. Yep. This team that year, the personalities, the, and it was just special. The group was special. You know, I played high school ball. I played small college ball. I've, you know, I coached for 11 years. I've, I've run sales teams. I've been in sales. I'm in real estate now. I mean, that team was just special. It was a special, and, you know, life is about timing, and I was so fortunate for me personally to have the timing to meet Paul Westhead and, and to be around that team. It, it, it changed my life, that whole team changed my life. My life is different because of that team and that time in my life. So I just appreciate it and I appreciate Wax getting us together. And I think when you first reached out to me about this, any chance I have to talk about the 1990 team or those teams at Loyola, I would do anything to be a part of it. So, because I'm so thankful having been a part of that group. Thank you for tuning in to the LA Court Report podcast. 
an L.A. Court Report production.